Good afternoon and welcome to the business community on Calon FM. With me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And this week, we're going to talk job titles. Job titles, Heather. Do you remember your very first job title? Oh, gosh. Um, um, kitchen assistant, my Saturday job. Oh, yeah, no, I had forgotten about the Saturday jobs, yeah. Yeah, and then waitress, and then shop assistant. I worked in a news agents. What about you? What's what's your f- my first grown up job title was nanny, I think. Like you know, when I was proper like left home working. Oh, nanny. Yeah, I did that for a little while. Mary Poppins, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> it wasn't. So, yeah, I did have a number of jobs um, when I was studying, um, mostly retail, um, various other bits and bobs. But first grown-up job title was trainee auditor. Oh, gosh. And then assistant accountant. And then where did I go from there? What did I do after that? Oh, treasury risk analyst. That's a good one, isn't it? Risk analyst in a treasury. Gosh. Not the treasury. No, it doesn't really sum up what I did. I didn't sit analysing risk all day every day, but there was an element of that in what I did. One of my favourite ones is financial controller. Makes me feel powerful, powerful. (laughs) <laughs> I like something from Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah, the fat controller. That has been mentioned. <laughs> the financial controller. <laughs> I that is a job hat. That's, I mean, that is a job title that you kind of get the gist of what it is. But one of the reasons we're talking about this subject is because there are all sorts of job titles out there that, A, like didn't exist when I was a kid, when you were a kid, um, and then some that are just nonsense. And it's whether whether they're um, whether it's somebody's ego that makes them come up with that that job title, or whether it's that they're trying to be creative or quirky or funny or trying to you know say say what is it what's the saying does what it says on the tin. You know, yeah, yeah. my job title says, for example, there's one here: director of ethical hacking. Oh. So they hack, but with good intentions. I, I think I think so. There seem to be jobs where you are encouraged to hack. Okay. Hack away well, into things. When I saw was um, chief happiness officer. Right. Okay. And they were um, responsible for making sure the employees were engaged and um, happy with their benefits packages. Uh, those, those sorts of areas that would typically fall into HR because HR has got quite a history with job title. In fact, I'm not even sure HR is is the sort of the fashionable job title for that field of work anymore, is it? I think people is, is it something with people manager or... Uh, yeah, chief people officer. Yeah, but, you know, they started off as being... Um, clerk of the works or something like that or yeah <laughs> well, and um, then personnel yeah personnel yeah that takes me back yeah. a bit doesn't it yeah. but human resources there's something a little bit 
it's the human resource as opposed to the um, machine resource. It sort of lumps humans in with your stock and your and your consumables, doesn't it? Which I, I can understand why potentially that one's fallen out of favour. But that, I'm well, not though, sure about people. Because people yeah. is still a bit distant, isn't it? People manager, people officer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that we still talk about have we got the resource to do that? And we, I think we're thinking of people in that context, aren't we? Yeah. You know, you know what capacity have we got? have we got the resource to do that i think that's that is still very much about people and i think we recognize that and you know human resources is um, a subject but i think it's where some of the more creative titles might have come from but also in it oh my goodness go on then things i mean like a solutions architect okay, okay. So top skills, solutions architecture, cloud computing, software development, SQL, software development lifecycle. Architect. It's not architect in the traditional building sense, is it? It's no. building digital solutions. Or scrum master. Oh, now that, that screams rugby to me. So it, <laughs> what, what does it actually mean? It Top skills, scrum agile methodologies software development business analysis software development life cycle so it that's about um th the way people approach tasks so agile i think a lot of us have heard of agile scrum i think is where you well you kind of brainstorm uh and sh and share ideas that way but um but but my favourite one, we both know somebody who's got a fantastic job title, um, the title of Chief Giggler. <laughs> it does describe her personality as well as her job, really, yes. It does indeed, because she runs a company called Giggles and Games, where they um, rent out or you can hire activities games activities for weddings and corporate events and things like that and the lady in question alice murray who some of you might know um she giggles like at everything so it's just it's the perfect title <laughs> it certainly is i've always thought the company name was very appropriate but uh, yeah her job title is perfect yeah it, one of the reasons why we're talking about this is that a couple of weeks ago we were talking about um a, a guy called Shep Hyken. Um he was the guy who'd written the was it the list of things that went well in twenty twenty or didn't go so well, I can't remember. But he runs a company um his own company and his job title is the chief amazement officer. He he's a customer service expert um and he he talks about customer experience oh so i think that's it was about how discerning customers are that's right and, yeah and what they're going to be looking for in the future yeah um, so yeah. The 10 things to look out for next year isn't it that's it yeah. chief amazement officer amazement now that sets your expectations quite high doesn't it <laughs> it does you've got to live up to it <laughs> um and what what about this is, sounds a, a bit mundane compared to chief amazement officer but i've noticed a growing trend for um 
job titles to be business partners. So finance business partner, HR business partner and in bigger organisations as opposed to manager. Uh, what's your take on that? I, I was thinking it's it's about, particularly for HR, bringing them into the strategic decision making. So as a business partner, they're representing HR in strategic decisions, uh, same with finance, as opposed to them just being um, as a service on the side while everybody else makes the strategic decisions. Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I also think that that may be something to do with more uh, with flatter management structures where we try to avoid the words you know supervisor you know, team leader supervisor manager senior manager director you layer, know all on, of layer, that. on layer yeah yeah so I, I wonder whether it's something to do with that sort of leveling out of job titles i was looking at one um workplace um, organization chart today and i noticed that it was very flat, but somehow they got themselves into a situation where everybody from the, there was the top and then this middle layer and then um, so, sort of that, the, the worker bee layer. But everybody in that middle layer was called a manager. There must have been about 20 managers for this relatively wow. small company. It seemed really weird that this job title had to include the word manager in there. That, and well, the um, phrase more chiefs than Indians did spring to mind. Yeah, totally. And and of course, it goes back to the days when people were attached to what their job title was in terms of their own validation. So, you know, I, I you know, I am not, I'm not a team leader. I, you know, I'm not a supervisor. We used to have like officers, you know, all of those different yeah. words usually meant a move up in a pay scale of some sort. Uh, and I think that nowadays, again, we try to move away from that. And let's face it, the word manager in some respects is is a misnomer because most people, their job is not just to be a manager. Their job is to do the doing and manage. Yeah. And I think, you know, the days of the manager's office where the manager just sat there and barked instructions and orders has long gone. And that made me wonder then, has anybody actually got a job that includes the word doer? Yeah. <laughs> HR doer. I'm the HR doer. I'm the finance doer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the person who makes it happen. Yeah. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And this week, if you hadn't noticed that Google had some major problems on Monday, then presumably you were hiding under a rock somewhere because it was massive. And I'm not just saying that because every single one of my email accounts goes through my Gmail account Ooh. and my entire life is on my Google Calendar and that various other things are connected in with it. But it had knock-on effects for my kids who were work studying from home. So Google Classroom was down. I understand that the Google Home and Google Assistant and Nest thermostats were also not effective. Um, Nest security cameras and, and doorbells weren't working. Massive impact. People using Google Meet all of those sorts of things. The world seemed to stop. Apparently, it was only out for about 45 minutes. 
but it felt like an awfully long time to me. You're just holding your breath thinking, is it going to come back? Will I ever know what I'm actually supposed to do for the rest of the week? Because it's all in my calendar. My kids were cheering, of course. <laughs> they, they couldn't get on Google Classroom. It was well known that nobody could get onto Google Classroom, so they had the perfect excuse. Heather, were you aware <laughs> and, or were you, you completely oblivious to Google's outage? No, I wasn't. I was, uh, it was on Monday, wasn't it, I think? Yeah, it was Monday. Yeah, and I was working on site um, at, at the charity I'm involved with. And I, I only have one email uh, account that goes through Google, but I, I do have, I use the diary. Um, and I just kept getting this error message on my emails, on the send and receive. I was like, what, what's going on here? I was like, is it my password? Have I, you know, have I inadvertently, because passwords are a nightmare for me. So I was getting a bit confused and, and just wondering what what was going on and I assumed it was me I didn't assume it was them because how could it be them because they're massive and I'm just you know I'm just me you, you so I assumed I wrong button here oh exactly so I was thinking well okay what am I doing wrong um and then um a, a, a slack message came through somebody saying I, I've broken google what's happened you know and I said oh I I have as well so then I googled <laughs> to try and find out well anyway it obviously it had it had gone wrong but it's a bit like the microsoft thing that happened i don't know six weeks ago or whatever yeah. however much time ago it was um and you know that just blows my mind this massive global outage of something that affects everybody yeah, in so many ways. Yeah. It, it's absolutely, you know, from not being able to turn your heating or your lights on to, to not being able to have important meetings that you're in the middle of. Yeah. And, and also, you know, not be able to study. <laughs> but it, yeah. it sounds like the, the cause of the error sounds quite simple. So simple, in fact, that you're like, well, how did that happen? But sometimes it is the simplest of problems that can cause massive issues apparently what happened was that internal tools failed to allocate enough storage space for the services that handle authentication so the services the software services that, that work out who you are and say yes thank you and you can go in apparently the storage filled up and the system didn't automatically make extra space available and so it just crashed. And it's described in one article that I read that uh, it filled up and crashed in the same way that a desktop computer does when it tries to operate with a full hard drive. It just got completely bogged down. Wow. But having read about it afterwards, I was surprised it was only 45 minutes that it was down. I think more ripples and repercussions occurred because on Tuesday evening, um, I, I had this strange half hour where emails just kept pinging through 
really late emails and I felt really embarrassed because some of these emails I should have had on Monday and I'd not replied to. Uh, there was a whole email chain saying, have you heard from Tracy? What's Tracy doing? Is Tracy joining? Uh, I said, oh, and they came through it between eight and a half past on Tuesday night. Ping, ping, right. ping, ping, ping. It was like, is this going to stop? They just kept coming and coming. About 100 emails in my inbox right. within half an hour. So clearly it had been storing some up and decided to offload them on Tuesday. But doesn't it make you wonder about the risks that we've got with everything being with the Microsofts and the Googles of this year? I know it brings massive benefits, but, yeah, you know, what if everything's through Google and Google decides to take the night off... <laughs> to ransom or or, you know somebody pulls the plug out by mistake you know if your business is dependent on those tools it can have really serious repercussions well I think you know from the diary point of view now I so my husband and I share a diary through Google um but otherwise I I use the diary on my phone so uh because Oh my goodness, if I lost all my appointments, I'd have no idea. I'd have no idea what I was doing at all. It would just be because I don't keep a paper diary. I mean, I. So, I, I ran... do you think to back up or screenshot your calendar, or have you just gone, oh, that's a risk, and then carried on the same? Well, that's the thing. I, I Until this happened this week, I hadn't really thought about it. And now you go, oh, actually, maybe there's something. But I don't know what I don't know. I don't know how you would screenshot and and things like so. If I'm invited to a a, a meeting, the link, the Zoom link or the Teams link, would be saved into that appointment. Yeah. You know. So then you're like, well, where would I? F- where would I find the link? <laughs> the link for that. So it's. I think it's something that does need to be thought about, Heather. Yes. <laughs> I agree. On a more positive note for this, um, with um, the move to um, online learning, um, um, obviously in the case of the pandemic, my kids had realised that this probably meant the end of snow days because um, even if you can't get into school or the teachers can't get into school, you're already set up to do your learning. You do it from home. However, there was at least one school in Michigan, apparently in Michigan, that gave their children the equivalent of a snow day. (laughs) Because Google had broken. Google had gone down. They couldn't use Google Classroom. So they had their Google day, (laughs) Google down day. They called it a snow day, which I think is wonderful. So um, I haven't told my kids this yet, but there is a possibility they still have snow days. You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And when it comes to mentoring, I think most of us have an idea of kind of how that works in that it's about somebody passing their skills, knowledge and experience on to somebody who is less experienced or knowledgeable about a particular thing. And I think that, you know, we that happens naturally for some people um, and sometimes you have to seek out somebody who can actually mentor you but um we've both watched this ted talk this week which was um it's quite a short ted 
talk, but it was by a lady called Patrice Gordon, who is um is she still an employee of Virgin or I'm not sure if she still is. But she was yeah, talking I think she is. Right. Well she was talking about something that I, a, a term that I'd not heard of before, which is reverse mentoring. Had you come across that before, Tracy? I hadn't, no. Um, and when it showed up as one of the new TED Talks, um, so it was um, published in November, it, it sort of caught my eye because it's like, yeah, as you say, I know what mentoring is, but what's this reverse stuff? Yeah. And she talks about the fact that, that the workforce of today, because of um the aging population and people working longer you you actually have got five different generations within the workplace and potentially you know it's potential that you might have that in any one company um but it's and it's also becoming more diverse so we know we've talked a lot about um underrepresented groups within organizations particularly at certain levels but she she goes on to talk about in order to for a business to be the best that it can be, it needs to really understand what those underrepresented groups think and feel and believe and um, uh, hope for in any organization. So actually, this is where the, the reverse mentoring model is where you get somebody who is more junior within an organization, who is mentoring upwards to somebody who is more senior within the organization and may have lost contact or lost touch with what it's like, uh, you know, a bit nearer the coalface. Uh, and I think that it would probably be quite an enlightened organization that would take that on board. And she said first time she encountered it was at Virgin. Yeah, I was thinking the same. You've, you've got to be confident in your own skills to be mentored by somebody junior. And indeed, that is what happened. The CEO, uh, Craig Krieger of Virgin Atlantic, was mentored by Patrice. And she was in her first year at Virgin Atlantic. Now, how nerve-wracking would that be? I need you to mentor me, says the CEO, to a newbie in the company. But she stepped up and it sounds like, I mean, it hasn't done her career any harm at all. But at the same time that, you know, it's been acknowledged that it's been really beneficial to the senior management at Virgin Atlantic as well. And he was talking very specifically. She said that she'd met him before, you know, and even presented at meetings that he was attending. But he was specifically interested in her because he didn't have any black women within his inner circle. And he wanted to understand how they could build a more inclusive culture. Uh, and he wanted to hear her thoughts and to learn from her about what that might look like, uh, which is absolute genius. And I think um, in some ways she she quite enjoyed it once she'd got over the initial um, <laughs> yeah. The initial fear it was interesting because she said that uh, a couple of times she had to pull him up and and change the direction of the meeting because he'd started to give her career advice and she said oh craig i'm here to mentor you and that, yes. that takes bravery i think so she really yeah. stepped up to the role of mentor yeah and i think one she talks about like five key things that you need to put in place to make sure that it works 
Um, so you set these ground rules effectively. And I, I wonder whether that then makes it easier, just as you would in a sort of, you know, a coaching relationship or a counselling relationship. These are the professional boundaries. This is what we're doing. And if we all agree and sign up to that at the beginning, then it's easy for either party to say, uh, hang on a minute, that's not actually what we're meant to be doing here. Yeah, so you uh, blame the rules rather than your own opinions. Mm, yeah, I think yes. that Yes, sense, but so. she, she talked about, in the same way that you would with traditional mentoring, you'd make sure that the two people were able to get on. You know, there's got to be some synergy between those those two people because you're going to um, you're going to form a relationship and you've got to trust one another and take on board the knowledge and experience um, and the point of view of the person that you're working with. Yeah. So she talked about making sure you find the right person in the first place. I went on then to to have a look at some other articles and I found an interesting one in the Harvard Business Review, so at hbr.org. And it, it talks here about um, the re recruitment and retention problem that a lot of companies have. We've, we've talked about it many times on, on the show and the struggle to attract millennial talent to your company. And um, the thinking is that actually reverse mentoring is the way to narrow that gap between leaders and to increase the retention of those millennials because you're understanding what it is that they're dealing with what issues that they've got and how you can actually uh, retain them but i was also interested to read in the harvard business review article that um this approach has been around since the 1990s at least apparently yeah. General Electric, um, they used this to teach senior executives about the internet. Oh, wow. So it was about wow. sharing knowledge about technology, whereas the more modern programmes for reverse mentoring are about helping senior executives to think about leadership and mindset and strategic approach. But actually using this reverse mentoring to learn about technology was needed in the 90s, I guess. So, mm. you know, it, it it was um, it has been around for a while. I don't actually know if they called it reverse mentoring then, but that's what they refer to in this article. And I suppose uh, if you think about that particular scenario, you know, that was the start of the time when kids were basically born with a computer chip in their brain and they only had to look at a piece of equipment and they could start to figure out how it worked. Whereas it was such a leap for, for the older generation to consider that this is some, what, what is this? How does this work? So I think having that, having that, um, those people within the organization who got it to help you as a, as a older, more established, um, person set in there the old-fashioned way of doing things but to help them see, to understand you can see the parallels though with the use of technology in the 90s and expectations um, of the younger generation for the workplace now it's changed so dramatically from when we entered the, the workforce initially Heather mm. that mm. actually we do need a younger perspective on it to say well these are the issues we're facing there isn't such a thing as a job for life and how are we going to build our skills and how do we get the experience so I think it, it it's not too dissimilar to this massive gap that there was in the technology knowledge is it 
Yeah, I, I suppose it's a little bit like I do remember going into a school a few years ago and um, the kids, you know, normally when, when I was at school, the first thing you did was you'd sit at your desk and you'd get your notebooks and your pens out, you know, your pencil case and your notebooks. And it was like, I thought we were in an IT suite. We weren't. We were just in a classroom, but there was a computer on every, you know, at every works at every workstation. And the kids, you started talking to them and then they just started typing into their computers. And it was like, um, excuse me, but no, they were making notes. They were, you know, it, the same as me using a notepad. So just those shifts, just different. And that was acceptable to them. Whereas I was like, well, this is rude. So it's those those slight shifts. What does it look like? What, you know, what's normal? What's normal for different people within yeah. an organisation? And just to finish this section, I, I just wanted to point out one of the things that Patrice said um, was that when you're mentoring, what is it really important is, although you might get on with that person and in a normal conversation, what you tend to do is to focus on what you what um, similarities you have and, and what commonalities there are um, that she says the important thing with the reverse mentoring is to seek differences. And she says that's where the real power comes from, not agreeing on what you agree on. It's actually finding and working on and discussing and exploring what the differences are between the two of you. So like you say, I think it takes very brave company to adopt this, but I can imagine that the benefits that they get from it are enormous. This week, we thought we'd give you an insight into how we choose people to profile on the show. Now, we, we started off um, with the name Sophie Lawler this week, um, but it actually got us into a conversation about how on earth did we come up with that name? And we revisited what we'd done. And then it, it sort of led us on to, oh, and then when we were talking about them, we saw that link and then this link and then that link. So you may or may not find this interesting, to be perfectly honest, but I've got to admit I did when we started to revisit it. So we're going to talk about it anyway. So I hope you do enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> so Sophie Lawler, she's the CEO of Total Fitness, uh, Fitness First. and uh, She's been a director seeking assignment, which I loved. Um, director seeking assignment. Now, I take it that means she hasn't got an appointment. She was unemployed. Seeking assignment. I, I think everybody should use that. Um, and she's worked her way through Fitness First uh, as marketing manager, um, all the way up to head of central operations and strategy director. And she became, um, I think, is it the youngest CEO in the UK commercial sector? Um, yeah, I'm just having a look now. The first female CEO in the UK's commercial sector, yeah. according to one, and also one of the one of the youngest, not the youngest. Um, but we came we we came across her because she was in a news article um, and on a list of what was it, Heather? Northern Power Women. Oh yeah, um, it it was Northern Power Women or something. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, it was a list, and it was in a news article that we'd read. But when I started to research it, it did make me think, you know what, I found another way we can find people to profile because yet again, we found somebody who did a degree at Keele University. And obviously I noticed that because I did my master's degree at Keele University 
I have to say, many years before Sophie did her degree at Keele University. But we talked about Peter Moore last week, and he did a degree at Keele University. And there have been plenty other people that we've profiled that have gone to the same educational establishments as me. So I just think maybe we should just look at my old school lists and, and go through and see what they're doing now. And maybe we could profile them. Um, well, I think the, the Keele University link um, rears its head again because as part of um, Sophie Lawler's um, journey to become the CEO at Total Fitness, somebody suggested that she spoke to the existing CEO um, who was who was moving on. And it turned out he'd studied the same degree as her at the same university. <laughs> and so she dropped him a note, invited him to meet for coffee. So they did the same degree, same university. And she said, hey, why don't we meet? Can and I just then... say, the world belongs to Keele University alumni. Just saying. <laughs> it looks like it. We're taking over, Heather. We're taking over. <laughs> but... It's interesting, isn't it? Those little threads that we pull. Uh, and when we look at it, it's really led us down some really interesting routes. Uh, you brought up when we we're having a, a, a quick pre-show discussion, Anne Bowden. Now, we came across her through, uh, we talked about her previously, hadn't we? So we talked about um, the founder of Monzo Bank and in passing mentioned Anne Bowden. And, and then weeks later, you sent me a picture um, of a book and said this. Like, what what do you want me to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you were indicating the author, which was Anne Bowden. But the reason why you'd got that picture, do tell, Heather. Well, it was Dame Stephanie Shirley, who is our all-time favourite woman, um, and whom I follow on Twitter and who follows me back, I have to say, which is, you know, that was like a, a, a great day for me. Um, I noticed that she tweeted that she had been sent a copy of Anne Bowden's book and that she was looking forward to reading it. So that's when, and she was the founder of Starling Bank, if you're not a regular listener. So that's when we did the whole Monzo Starling Bank. OK, let's look at Anne Bowden and what her story is. And it's a great story as well. So I'm glad we went down that route. Yeah, it is indeed. But continuing with the kind of six degrees of separation thing, <laughs> uh, during our during our research into Anne Bowden, we discovered that a, there was a significant donation investment made towards Starling Bank by a gentleman by the name of Harold McPike. And we didn't know who he was. So guess what we did? We researched him profiled him and it, it's just those little things that link these people together so I'd love to be able to say that we plan this you know months in advance and we say well we really must profile this person and we must profile that person but often it's topical or it's somebody that we've happened we've stumbled upon whilst researching other people yeah Peter Bourne was an obvious one that's based on recent news obviously because of his involvement with Wrexham Football Club little did I know we were going to find out about Peter Moore the serial killer as well yes yes that was a that was a close run thing when I might have done all my research <laughs> on a very dark subject and then I'm just thinking about another way that we we find people to profile was it Lord Billamoria we we um 
we went to a business festival and we'd actually missed his talk. So we thought we'd profile him instead. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That, oh, I forgot, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, he was, the, he was the keynote, wasn't he? That's right. And we completely missed it. But we did, um, <laughs> we did actually profile somebody who we'd heard talk at that festival of enterprise, didn't we? Um, was that Bobby Singh, the founder of yes. Code? Now, we wouldn't have even heard of him, I'm fairly certain, if we hadn't heard him talk. And he was, even though he's a, what I think you described him in the blog as a self-publicist extraordinaire, he, he's still quite Birmingham-based at that point. So if we hadn't gone to Birmingham and heard this talk, we wouldn't have heard from him and his wonderful story. No, no. So, yeah, so it, it's it's a voyage of discovery, isn't it? Yeah. Sometimes it come from books as well. So we have profiled people that have, that could rightly call themselves gurus or have been called gurus uh, from many, many years ago. They, they've since passed and they've got this guru status. And then there's there's people that we know locally that we've, we've profiled as well. I think we've got through most of the local um, entrepreneurs, haven't we, Heather? It, yes, it is quite difficult to find um british people to start with we were looking very much about um um leadership styles and you know the way that people had set up businesses and what their journey and their story had been and what led them to be classed as a guru we used to use the term guru but we kind of moved saying, away from that now yeah i know i like saying guru and i think we should say it again a bit more often yeah it was, it, yes more often it, it, yes it's a good word but but actually, some of the most interesting stories come from the smaller, more personal tales of how people have happened to get to where they've they've got to, um, and that it wasn't part of a big master plan. And I I quite like those stories. Some of the easier ones to research are if they're promoting a product or a book at the time, like like Anne. So you, you could um, Anne Bowden's book. She was promoting that and. Um, all the articles were about the book. The only negative to that in, is then that Google gets filled with that same story because it tends mm. to be the same story that's being promoted. Um, more difficult ones are where they're, they're very tightly controlled by their PR team. There's very little to be said about them. We have gone for a big name once, didn't we? And we had to not do it because you could tell that the internet had been completely cleansed there was um, no, and it, yes and and we knew in our heads there were stories to be had but they weren't to be found anywhere were they no. so that had been completely cleansed from the internet which is really disappointing because i'm sure there's there's plenty we could have said on that subject yeah and that was also true of harold mcpike it was very very wealthy it was really difficult to find out anything about him other than the things that he wanted you to know about him which was that he'd been to the north pole he'd been to the south pole and he lives on a big yacht off antigua or somewhere like that yeah he might um, not want us to know about the yacht but the yacht fans wanted us to know about yes him. super yacht <laughs> <laughs> so maybe there's a clue if you want to be really private don't buy a super yacht because there are super yacht fans out there <laughs> 
Well, I think that's all we've got time for. We've waffled on enough today. We do hope you've enjoyed listening to the business community. And for the next couple of shows, we've got some compilations for you. I do hope you enjoy listening to. Me and Heather have done some fresh recordings in between the compilations. And um, I'm trying to remember the order of them, Heather. It's Christmas Eve. We've got our chat splat compilation where we've picked... Some some of our 10-minute talks on random subjects. Um, it's quite fun. And we've got some good Christmas music to play between each of those. And on Christmas Eve, no, not Christmas Eve, New, New Year's Eve, Eve. Um, we've chosen our two favourite shows each, so two each, and we've talked about why we've chosen those shows for you. So this is the last live show of the year. So. Um... All that remains is for us to wish you a happy Christmas and that we look forward to seeing you in 2021. So have a Merry Christmas from us both. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.